It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you heartily for joining us. With me in the studio today, I'm delighted because we have three guests in the studio. We have Allison Rudd, we have Julian Lawrence, and the only Gearbrandt in captivity, Mr. James. Now, it was the penultimate weekend in the Premier League season. We've had a couple verdicts, but we start with the last ever game at White Hart Lane. You'd think we'd start with Chelsea winning the title, but nah, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Spurs win again. They're not bottlers. They, I don't. You know, I think last year was an unfortunate series of events. Uh, they will finish second. This is really good, right, Alison? Well, they're painting it as good. Uh, Pochettino says he has no regrets. The players all say they have no regrets. What they need to do is uh, regroup and make sure they go one step further again next season, and that would have to mean winning the title. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm slightly torn about how I feel about Spurs this season. They usually pack out any team of the season. On an individual level, they have a high proportion of players that we all admire, those of us who love football. And in that sense, you think, well, hang on a minute. Why haven't you won the league then? They're clearly missing that magic ingredient where you get together a group of talented young people and do what you need to do to win the title. And... I was there at the Olympic Stadium when they fell apart against West Ham. And you could say, well, it was just one game, but they're the moments that define you as a great team or just a very good team, I would say. Thank you, Negative Nelly. Anybody else going to argue that Spurs squad is so good that they should be even better? Because That's what I just said. But they lack the ingredient to... No, because frankly, time. I disagree. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't think that... Yes, they have, you know, we all like Dada Alley, he's very good, and Harry Kane. But if you were to go player for player, I don't know that they've got a squad that's comparable to City or, or, or United or, 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 or even Arsenal, frankly. Yeah, but I if don't you, like those players. Well, that's the disappointing <laughs> bit. That's the thing, there's players that you like. But no, but I guess what I'm saying is it is this squad in terms of individuals is good and it's promising, but I still think it's a tremendous feat to finish second, to finish ahead of all these wealthier, better resource teams and who, taken as individuals, probably have better players as well. Yeah, but that's the excuse. You've just given them a really good excuse. The point is, that I was trying to make, is I don't think they are worse than those expensively assembled teams. I would rather have most of that Tottenham team than anyone from City or United. So, they should have won the league. Okay, Jansen, Sissoko, Kyle Walker. Not the fringe <laughs> Well, what? Walker's not fringe. Well, he is now. Yeah. Julian James, any strong feelings on this? Or can we move on and talk about United since that's my box office because they're the biggest team in the world? Um, and the most famous, as they keep reminding me. I thought me. they'd be incredible at home this season. And I think they finished third last season, second this season. And I think they keep improving. And I think the, the magic bit will come, I think. 
if they don't mess up the summer, which they might do, I don't know, but if they don't mess up the summer, for me, they'll be favourite to win the title next year. Not, not, you know, not on their well, own, I think. Well, they're but, not going to win it at Wembley. Yeah, but they're not going to have that said, home like, record at Wembley. This was the be, season to do it. Because you've got that added oomph of it being the last season at White Hot Lane. And you only had to look at the emotion and the way the crowd reacted and made sure they won the game on Sunday to know that is part of their success this season. Um, you can't translate that to Wembley. And we've seen them play not very well at Wembley. So why do you think they're going to be better next season? They're going to stutter next season. I'm not sure they'll stutter next season at all. Even at Wembley. Yeah, I, I don't buy this sort of Wembley thing. If anything... You would imagine that playing there for a whole year and having played there before in the um, in the Champions League means that there's a learning curve. And if Wembley's different for them, it'll be different for visiting teams as well. The difference that they'll be more used to it because they will have played at Wembley more often. Okay, let's talk United. I'm struck by something Jose Mourinho said. I saw this on Match of the Day. I thought I misheard. It's actually rewound it. <laughs> <laughs> he said that they played with a team that is not a team, just a group of players. And they were playing matches that they don't want to play because, in fact, there's only one match that they actually want to play, uh, which presumably is the Europa League final. I take his point, but Jesus, could you send a more negative message out to your squad? You know, a team that is not just a group of players. Like, you've been working with these people all season long. If there's a flu epidemic, some of these guys who you're calling just a group of players might actually have to play in your precious Europa League final against Ajax. I... It's just odd behavior to, to to say in public, isn't it? The world will be united for Ajax to beat United now, if they weren't already. It's it's ridiculous. It's like the antithesis of everything you read in any coaching manual or motivational speaking. A, he's putting far too much pressure on the players who do play in that final, because it's already a final, and it already means they will or will not get Champions League football. It doesn't need him to keep saying it's the only match that matters for the past four weeks. And secondly, as you say, Gab, it's not building up the egos or self-worth of those players. And he's got masses to choose from. Every time he says it's a weakened team, I think, oh, that's a really strong team. You know, it's just, it's A, it's a fib because he has access to the most extensive squad in the land. And... And B, it's an insult to football and his own players. I'm also wondering, if you're a United fan and you were kind of looking forward to going to Old Trafford on the last day of the season, I think they play, is it Palace they play? They do. How do you feel about this? I mean, I know they're not going to have problems selling out, and if people stay home, they'll find a bunch of Norwegians to stick in the stands. But, Jesus, I thought to myself, like, you know, could you make it any more... Obvious. It's one thing to play a weekend team and rest players. It's another just to come out and, with something like this. I imagine really if you travel from Manchester to Wahar Lane yesterday for the game. <laughs> yes. No, no. And then your manager says, you know, we didn't care. We threw that game away. And you travel all the way on a Sunday, maybe with your kids and your family. That cost you a fortune to go and see your team. And then the manager, who is disgraceful, by the way, saying like, we didn't want to play that game. What do you mean? Who? who, who Mourinho disgraceful. Who does he think he is? What is it with you throwing insults? I'm not sure. Drives me mad. That drives me mad for him to say something like this. I think it's, I don't know. You play in the Premier League, you're Manchester United. You, you don't throw games away. You don't play games not to win them. You don't play games you don't want. This, this is just, yeah. James, are you as offended by this as Julian is? Well, I mean. Or do you uh, admire his honesty? Here's what I don't get about Manchester United. So I saw them a few weeks ago against Burnley and they played 
pretty well, I think. And Eric Bailly and um, Daley Blint played as the centre-back pairing and were very good, played really well. And I would have thought... There was... was it Andre Gray they were playing against? Or... Yeah, I think it was. I think it was actually both Andre Gray and Sam Vokes. Okay. Um, but I would have thought there's quite a strong case for that to be the starting centre-back pairing in the Europa League final. So why are they playing in the fullback positions in this game? I mean, it's not like it's not like he rested them. I mean, they both played 90 minutes. He could quite easily have played them together. He could have played Twanzebe at, at right back and he could have played Darmian at left back. I just think it's kind of... Look, Ashley Young. Correct. Uh, I just think everyone knows that United are in the Europa League final. Everyone knows that they've got a few matches between now and then. And everyone knows they've got a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, I don't think that's lost on anybody. But I think it's kind of gone beyond what you might kind of see as kind of a, a genuine reaction to the situation they find themselves in. And to me, it kind of seems like ostentatious kind of signalling from Mourinho that is actually, I think, counterproductive. Yeah, I, look, I'll go back to what I said before. I, I think this season he's played the most attacking football in his career. I think they've been... Very unlike. I don't want to sound like Duncan Castles, but I think it's just factually correct. They've dropped a whole bunch of points at home, partly through sheer bad luck and happenstance. And I get all that. And then they had their injuries. But I don't understand the need to say to to, to come out and say stuff like this to the, the week before against Arsenal when he's like, oh, I would have made even more than eight chances if I could, but I only have a squad of one million. You know, I I don't understand why he's doing this. And I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's intelligent enough that when he says this stuff in the media, he's saying it for the benefit of his players, that maybe there's different buttons that to push that only he knows about because he is the great communicator. But it's hugely, hugely idiosyncratic what he's saying. And you're really putting all your eggs in your basket, in, in one basket. And if, if Ajax go and beat them, I mean, you, you're really going to look a fool. And and you'll probably be weakening your stance in the summer as well, vis-a-vis Ed Woodward, who will probably be under a bit of pressure himself. When we'll get to that in a minute, but um, and and that's going to make it harder for you to get the players that you want to get. I don't, again, I don't understand him, but I, I, I don't understand the logic behind it as well. Because, for example, he plays Tuanzebe in central midfield, which is, I think, by all accounts, not his very young player anyway. And by all accounts, that's not his best position. And Ander Herrera is on the bench now. Is that because Ander Herrera is so important to their aspirations of winning the Europa League final that he cannot possibly be risked in this game? Well, if so, why is he bringing Ander Herrera on after an hour? If he's really that important that he simply you simply cannot afford to risk him, yeah. why would you bring him on? I mean, he's especially in a game that you don't want to play and you don't well, care about. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, Gav, in terms of the psychology and the reasoning behind this bizarre behaviour. I suspect it might it's, it's, it might just be a question of overcompensation because he has been so dismissive of the Europa League as a competition that it's beneath him that he feels he now has to... <laughs> if you're going to make a U-turn, make a U-turn boldly. Yeah, yeah, and, and if you say it often enough, people will forget that you said it was a rubbish competition and that when they do lift the trophy, because he believes they will, then everyone will say, wow, what a fantastic it, United appointment he was. There's these old quotes talking about from 2013 when, when Rafa Benitez led Chelsea to the Europa League. And he sort of said, like, I don't think it's something you should celebrate if you're a big club, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not good to have your name associated with it, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Yeah. But obviously... After the semi-final, he yeah. said, I would be so, so very, very happy if we lifted the Europa League. 
But remember, it's not because of the Champions League or because it's uh, get out to save the season. It's because United have never won the yes. Europa League. Uh, final point on the England captain and all-time leading goal scorer. Wayne Rooney scored a goal. Um, he hasn't had many opportunities. Are we sure this is not an own goal? No, let, let, come on. Because, <laughs> no. It looks to me that I'm not even sure right. his touch on. is on target. You're, you're now being, no, 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 you're now being very I'm mean. I'm hey, Wayne Rooney is on the score sheet. This will count towards his goal bonus if he has one. Um, but then there's these odd stories coming out over the weekend of a night in March when, was it a Europa League night or something? Where sure Home Old Trafford. Europa League is so important. <laughs> you wouldn't go gambling on a after, Europa League night. After the Europa League. Now, so basically, as, as as the story goes, and it's not been denied, and I, in some ways I feel uncomfortable mentioning stuff because it's your private life, but then again, he's a public figure. He goes to the to the casino. And by the way, I saw a picture of it. Looks <laughs> like an absolute dump from the outside. I, I, but whatever. Um, I mean, maybe that... I, I know casinos in this country aren't exactly sort of the Monte Carlo casino, many of them, but this one looked especially dire. And he goes in by himself, and he gambles for two hours by himself, and then he leaves. It's kind of odd. He's very rich. He can presumably he lost whatever he lost would be the equivalent of me putting a couple quid in, in the fruit machine. But it's just unusual behavior, and it sort of suggests something's not quite right. Anybody concerned? Really not Any... quite right in terms of he's just very, very bored and needs to get some sort of kick out of life by gambling. Is that what you're saying? Was, but, but why does he have to go as Tony Nomates? Can he bring Phil Bardley along or one of his other friends? I, I don't. It, it he just doesn't seems... trust them anymore because they film him. So he has to go alone. To stop his uh, mates. Yeah, I just it's quite sad. It's quite I just sad thought it was very sad goes... because also he's Wayne Rooney, so he's going to be recognised, right? It's not like, you know, it's not like he wore a disguise. Suppose you could shave his head and nobody would, would recognize him with that wonderful well, head of hair. Glasses, you know, and they had like the poker players. <laughs> like, oh. But I I don't know. I, I, I just thought it was sad. And what, what saddened me more is that I just kind of think the story came up. Nobody cares. Nobody, I mean, nobody here seems to care, right? Maybe if Scully were here, he would care a little bit. But um, he's a... He's a, he's a a player who, over the course of his career, has made a succession of, um, I don't know, odd life choices, and we've just become immune to moralising about them, I think. I don't view it from the moral perspective. I, I just, I don't know, I just, I just thought it was just kind of sad behaviour. I don't know, I'm not suggesting he has a problem. I just think it's it's an odd way to spend your time, and I think in some ways being forgotten is worse than being than being talked about in a negative way. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just odd. In the same way, I'll give you another example on a, on a much bigger level. But, you know, Gaza recently gave an interview to ITV where he talked at length about some of the issues and stuff. So in Italy, where I come from, it was enormous news, right? To write three stories for my for my paper about it. It's Gaza. I mean, you know, yeah, he played for Lazio, but it was a long, long time ago. Over here, I kind of felt like he gives his interview and then it kind of comes and goes. Nobody cares about him anymore. You know, the media's moved on elsewhere. And, you know, Rooney's still 30 years old. He doesn't turn 31 until October, I think. I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I hope, because I loved watching him play, 
I, I hope he gets another shot somewhere and, and, and proves, proves people wrong, those who really have lost all faith in him. I think anyone would want him to be able to go out on a high, not as some has been at Old Trafford. So there was some concern that Liverpool would, would blow this, blow the top four finish. But you and go. They still could. <laughs> yes, they still could. But in the meantime, Alison, you go and you beat up West Ham, conquerors of Spurs, and everything's great again, right? Even Sturridge scores and plays and it's scores. Good That's what... it's good news followed by good news, followed by amazing news, followed by, wow, look at him and look at that formation and just look at the talent on show and the potential for next season and if they recruit they could probably win the Champions League for a sixth time yeah it's all fantastic unless they lose at home to Middlesbrough and then you'll get the flip side which is that Klopp hasn't quite got to grips with the Premier League and they need to invest far more than people realise and uh, there's something psychologically fragile with uh, Liverpool that they never used to be they used to be very good at grinding out results regardless of the backstory and what happened in the week and I reserve judgment on the outcome of the final home game of the season. Thank you. Julian, he played sort of this, this diamond with Coutinho in a deeper position and they were sort of waxing lyrical about it on, on Match of the Day 2 last night. I don't know. I don't see how that's a long-term solution. I mean, well done Klopp for this game, but surely that can't be a long-term solution because... Coutinho did some of his best work with some of his driving runs forward, and if you play that position, you can't make driving runs forward. Can you? Well, you'll have less space, surely, than if you play either wide on the right or wide on the left, that's for sure. You'll also leave a big, fat gap behind you and leave Matip and, yeah. and Lovren exposed. No, but maybe maybe the, the idea is to play him centrally, but doesn't have to play too deep centrally in certain games. He can just play behind a striker, behind two strikers, but doesn't have to play on the wings like he's done a few times, although with all the movement that they have up front. But I thought, I don't know, I thought Klopp's, Klopp thought maybe that, um, I mean, Nordweite, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any words for Nordweite performance yesterday, but I think, I, I think Careful. it was one of the, no, it was one of the words. I mean, I've got, got a five. James marked him five out of five. Yeah, no, James, I, I like Havard Nordweite, yes, so I gave, I gave him two do. extra points. I don't know. I, he was. I mean, James was there. Maybe me watching on television, and because I was so focused on him, because from very early on in the game, I thought like this guy is not into it whatsoever in that game, and playing in a crucial role where he was playing. I mean, the 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 first continual goal. He just. I don't know. I've seen him more on his knees, Norvite, than actually standing up and running during that game. It was just ridiculous. Okay, that, that could be taken different ways. Yeah, so don't, don't, don't. maybe club just thought, yeah, that's where you know Coutinho against that West Ham team. By the way, last week when we said they were so good against Spurs, we also said we bet you that they're going to be dreadful against Liverpool the following week with not the same motivation and approach to the game, which is exactly what happened. But I think in that game it was perfect for Coutinho to be as good as he was because the opposition was so dire. James, can you explain it? Why are West Ham so terrible? Why are West Ham so terrible? Well, in, in this particular game, I was at the Tottenham game as well, and Mark Noble, and particularly, I think, Cheku Kiate, did a very good job of shackling Dele Alli and Christian Eriksen. And in this game, they were both out, and you had Nortvite and, I think, Edin Milson Fernandez, who just couldn't do the same job. And the other thing I think that has absolutely bedeviled West Ham all season, I can't believe they didn't address it in January, is they don't have someone who Billich trusts regularly to play right back in a back four. 
the closest thing to an orthodox right back that they have. Well, I mean, he, he is an orthodox right back. Is Sam Byram, and he played yesterday. But clearly, Bilic doesn't trust him to play in a back four. So they've done all sorts of rejigging all season. You've had several people play at right back, including our friend Havard Nortweit. They just haven't settled on a consistent combination defensively. Yesterday, you say he played a black three with Byram as a wing back, and Byram was fine, but the back three was pretty bad. Remind us who was in the back three. So, uh, Jose Font, uh, Winston Reid, and James Collins. They're not bad players. One thing that's got to really worry you, I think, about Slovan Bilic is Slovan Bilic in his playing career was a centre back. And. That's why is, he it, is it not worrying that someone who who is that that was his trade as a player cannot construct a solid defence? I mean, you look at the other look at the other managers in the Premier League who are centre backs: Pochettino, Koeman, Allardyce. I mean, those are managers who you kind of. I mean, they're not they're not all defensive managers, but they're managers who you kind of associate with being able to build a solid base. And Bilic, for all his strong points, I think he does have good points as a manager. That seems to be something that he's not really ever been able to do. I wonder if this is more a case of just massive turmoil behind the scenes. Remember that story about the early morning raid by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs that kind of happened, held the headlines for a day, and then we all forgot about it and we said, like, you know, let us never speak of this again in Newcastle and West Ham? Mm -hmm. I wonder if maybe there isn't, hint, hint, something going on there that, means Bill it just kind of hung out to dry but let's talk some more Liverpool actually um, <laughs> just I get myself in trouble can we, yeah. can we all have a minute of silence for Andrea use uh, chance which, which club calls the biggest miss he's ever seen in his whole entire life but that was that was a super super bad miss yeah club said that oh. you think he said that to make uh, Adam Lalana feel better for that miss he had when the one where was it against City was it when yeah against City when, <laughs> I just, just I don't wanted, know I mean the IU one is, is even harder to miss than the Lalana one I think the IU one is funnier because he has two chances yeah and then Sturridge st- then Sturridge tackles the ball that rebounds on the post into Mignolet and then Sturridge goes up and goes mad at the keeper he's <laughs> <laughs> just like but IU just missed the the biggest chance of the season it's crazy so I let's think, talk Sturridge he scored three goals this season. There's a lot of injuries. I think he's played 90 minutes like once or twice all year. We know that there's a really good goal scorer in there. If you were his agent or his mom or his big sister, what would you tell him, Allison? Would you say, like, listen, why don't you go see Mr. Klopp and say, look, do you see me as a starter next year? And if not, how about I go somewhere else? No, he needs to... I think, actually, I've changed my mind about this. I think he needs to stay because... Now, Liverpool know his body and they know why things go wrong so often. And I think if he was able to stay, it would be a sign that the club had confidence that they'd got to grips with his various physical problems and um, believe that he can play a lot next season. It was a microcosm of all that's good about him at the Olympic Stadium. He... He has great London Stadium. He has great. I'm calling it what it is. He has great movement, great movement, great vision, great. He's selfless. He's you know he's, he, when he was at Chelsea, people used to describe him as being a sort of selfish, only plays for himself, doesn't see the bigger picture for the teammates. He does see that at Liverpool. He spoke beautifully afterwards about his relationship with Klopp and the fans, and he would like to stay. 
I think he should because if he goes somewhere else and gets a, a minor injury in week two, and then he's starting all over again with new physios and a new manager. He'll become a joke figure who cannot cannot stay fit. He has to somehow get a programme together with the staff and the physios and doctors at Liverpool and say, look, let's just let's just try and make this work next season. And then he, he will fulfil his great potential, which he hasn't quite done yet. Is the flip side, though, that given the way Klopp plays and given the, the pressing movements... Um, that he asks of his players, which are sort of very coordinated, and you need players who are bright and who also are used to playing together so, and, and have that chemistry. Is If you make Sturridge a starter as part of that chemistry, then it probably won't work because, I mean, it's kind of hard to cram Sturridge, Firmino, Mane, Coutinho, and Lalana into the same team. If you sort of rotate him in and out, you're going to lose some of that chemistry, Right. Instant chemistry yesterday. I mean, I think I think it's against Norvite and no. Well, yeah, but except they were the West Ham. West Ham are not going down, and West Ham did 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 scupper Tottenham's title challenge. They're not altogether rubbish. And you know, if Ayud's had scored, who knows what would have happened? It's, it was like, they're not they're not complete patsies. No, I know. But, but what I, was surprising was the things that people were drooling about. Sturridge was his link-up play, and was I mean, you know. Coutinho knew Sturridge would make that run for the opening goal. I, it's I'm, not I'm like not... he was there as a as a spare part, thinking, "How oh, do I fit in?" He looked like he could fit in incredibly well, either playing as part of a a three man attack or as a part of a four four two. Or he looked like it could be the potential to be flexible. But what I'm saying is, when you play that system, it's so coordinated that it's really difficult when one of your starters isn't there it's 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 not the kind of system that's really basic and simple everything is so precise in the movements that when one guy isn't there it kind of messes everything up right i mean Sturridge is going to make it messed up i don't see your point he didn't come in and make liverpool well no but but they also played a diamond and they played a different system and, and and it was west ham playing at two miles an hour i'm glad you have faith in this i i don't know i i I, I think it's worth one more push i find it difficult to see Sturridge as somebody next season who rotates in and out of the team without without the team suffering i personally i love Mane. i find it difficult to leave him out coutinho i assume he's going to stay is impossible to leave out Sturridge at his best versus firmino Firmino is a you know he's a perfect club player i don't know I, i i don't know that that I want Sturridge just coming off the bench and being an alternative to those people. And, and if I can't fit him in, eh, I don't know. Maybe there'll be plenty of games where this system works and Sturridge can say, I'm happy to be part of those games. On, on the other hand, I think on the evidence of the past few weeks, though, you would rather have Sturridge coming off the bench as an alternative to those people than Origi. I mean, he's much more effective than... He's a much better footballer. Maybe. Probably more intelligent footballer at this stage of his career than Origi as well. Maybe, yeah. and, and in the games when Origi has has deputised up front on his own, he didn't play very well. Liverpool's attacking threat was much reduced. I don't think Sturridge is anywhere near being a starter next season. I don't think Klopp has seen enough from him at all. But he's earning starter money. That's the thing. And when you put it within the context of of English centre forwards, you know, if he's fully fit, other than Harry Kane. Who do you take ahead of them? Unless there's somebody obvious I'm forgetting. 
who's English and who's a centre forward and but this big is, decisions ahead. This is the ahead. thing with Sturridge. It's, 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 there's always a subclause about his fitness. <laughs> and big decisions what's ahead. The point? That's what's all the point? What's the point of putting all that physio time into him if you're not going to reap the rewards? Let's try one more time. I talk about Chelsea becoming the Premier League champions. Uh, they beat West Brom away on uh, Friday night. Late, late goal from Michi Batshuayi, set up by the ma- magnificent Cesar Azpilicueta. We all saw it coming, so in some ways it's sort of a non-story because if it wasn't going to be there, it would have been against Watford on Monday night or, or whatever else. But any broader reflection, something interesting to say? No? All right, then no, I'll say yeah, something. Well, well, I'll say well, something. Well, hang well, on, for hang Batshuayi, on. Who... All right, forget Batshuayi. No, 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 but it's, 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 that's the irony, is that the guy that... You know, they bought for a lot of money who Conte never really... Tr- well, let's put it in a nice way. That Conte was a bit disappointed by, let's say, his level or his progress since joining the club. And then the guy gives you the title. It's incredible, I think. Incredible. What I think is pretty remarkable here, just to provide a little bit of context, is Chelsea's last two home games are against Watford and Sunderland. Um, they could easily win those. If Do they win... Th- what? Do you think? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> if they do he will have a higher points total than any Premier League champion since Jose Mourinho in uh, 2004-05, 93 points versus 95 points. And this, after taking over a team that finished 10th last season, obviously with a lot of great players, but a lot of them were psychologically really down from Hazard to Diego Costa to Thibaut Courtois. He rebuilt all these people. He came in late. Remember when I made all those excuses about Van Hal? No, Van Hal's a really good manager. But look, he only had to take United. He took over United late because of the World Cup and blah, blah, blah. Well, this guy took over Chelsea really late because of the Euros. He did it after a summer transfer window where they signed one great player they really wanted in Golo Conte. But then they signed the other two dudes, Marcos Alonso and David Luiz, almost as an afterthought in the last 72 hours of the transfer window. And then again in January, when he wanted Fernando Llorente, again, they don't get the guy he wants. He's got Diego Costa throwing a strop and losing his marbles in, in January. A lot of things went his way too. They didn't have a lot of injuries. Obviously, there's no European football, blah, blah, blah. But I thought to myself, this is, this is a pretty remarkable achievement. Don't forget they lost two games by September as well. You know, Liverpool and Arsenal. So at that yeah. time, it looked like... He, it, was it was funny, he, he spoke about the Arsenal game, and obviously history will remember that's when they changed the system to three at the back and blah, blah, blah. And he was actually exceptionally gracious, and if you remember the old Conte, unconte-like about it, because he said that was rock bottom. When I watched that game, I realized nothing that I was saying was getting across to the players. And so I had to change and I had to find a better way to get my message across. I had to do stuff that was better suited to the players. And it worked. But when you make changes like that, it's not just about you. And you have to be lucky that you have players who are willing to work with what you tell them, who take the message on board, a club that supports you, uh, people who are patient, and just a good fortune that that things work out. So it was weird. He, he also recognized the role that luck and chance and probability played in, in winning the title. Um, tell us more about the old Conte. What would the old Conte have said? If he's listening, you might not appreciate me saying this, but the old Conte, when he when he left Juventus, uh, you you could hear the sound of bottles of, of champagne being uncorked from the veterans who had some of them had grown a little bit tired of his shouty methods. So somebody who you know when things didn't go right, 
he would blame the referees quite publicly. Um, he was somebody who was uber aggressive. Um, with who? The media? With the media, with right. officials, with players. Uh, when they get, you know, they get knocked out of the of a competition and he'd go and blame. He says, you know, we need top players. We need we need really good players. We need world-class players. I can't win anything with, with, with these donkeys. I mean, just about. He's such a poppet these days. I mean, he well, came in late at uh, West Brom on Friday night and he came in and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, everyone. Let's take you all out for lunch, shall we? Shall we do that? He turned to Steve Atkins, his senior media man. So, should we take you all out for lunch? Let's, let's do that. He's been just absolutely charming, charming all season. It's, and he giggles all the time. He's so likeable. It's a remarkable, remarkable transformation. Which and is I think the real this is, Conte, then? I don't know. Maybe this is a real... Maybe he's changed forever. Um, his very last press conference after Italy drew with uh, Germany at the Euros, uh, which marked their departure from the tournament, because losses on penalties don't count as losses, of course. He walked into the, into the press conference afterwards. Everybody's applauding. He did a great job with... Probably the worst Italian squad in, in history of the last 50 years. And the normal person sits there and just basks in the adulation. Instead, he goes on rant and after rant about how like the FA could have done more to support him and the clubs could have done more to support him, blah, blah, blah. And he raises his voice and yak, 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 yak. And I thought to myself, like, wow, like you, you just don't let things go, you know? Well, you're making me feel duped now. No. I, I like content. No, no. But to be able to adapt yourself That's to the thing. He adapted himself to this situation this year. Uh, and that, that totally is, is a sign. It? So Whether he's faking he, it or when not. When he smiles, is he, he, he did is it. He inside thinking, oh, you're all such idiots. <laughs> Whether he's faking it or not, he did it and it worked. I, I don't, I, again, I don't know. We have to see what happens if the going gets tough. We have to see what happens. If he stays. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he will stay, but you know, um, but it it is remarkable how different this Conte is to what what many of us who'd seen him work in Italy uh, expect him. And I, by the way, it's not like he was a bad manager before. Conte has managed six full seasons, right, start to finish. He's won the league that he was in in five of those six seasons, and the one time he didn't, they finished second and got promoted to Serie A. And they were like one point behind the, the, the league winners. So he's kind of, when he's done it start to finish, he's always been a success. There's, there's no argument there. But yeah, there was this pugnacious side to him. And this season, <laughs> we haven't seen it. So yeah, I, I'm really curious to know whether this is an evolution or whether this is just something that he's just keeping all bottled inside. But, you know, he's going to run outside and scream or something. But I guess maybe when, if or when the results are not as good that's where maybe the the real Conte, if yeah. the real the first one is the real Conte, the one from Juventus, might reappear and might start getting frustrated and then when he's frustrated he's a bit more angry yeah. and when he's agreeing he rents a bit more when he's angry and things like that because since that Arsenal game everything has gone his way so much that there was no need for him to rent, there was no need for him to get angry, to you know, talk badly to people or be a bit aggressive and this and that because they were always so good yeah. that thirteen win running row is incredible. He ranted about David Luiz and, and Alonso. He could have ranted about not getting Urente. Um, but yeah, there aren't that many other, you know, a lot of things went right for him this year and it's easier to be to be, cool. to, to, to be nice yeah. and cool when, when things are going your way. Doesn't it also show you that, you know, you don't need to be a huge kind of controversialist to sort of take the pressure off your players, this sort of perverse logic that we see kind of deployed? Well, we, we kind of already knew that. Though, we've seen Manuel Pellegrini win Premier League title. We've seen Ancelotti do it. 
after the West Brom game where he jumped on Courtois' back. I mean, who, what other man, who other manager in the whole of the world jumped on these keepers, albeit a very tall keeper, but still, you know, jump on the back and just like, you know, you, you hug your players and kiss them and stuff like that. And, and Conte is obviously very demonstrative in his feelings, but jumping on his back and just going mad like that was just... The other thing, well, Kurt was a monster. He's so tall and thin that I also kind of thought like, oh my God, what if he injures yeah, him? Exactly. You know? He's going like, to hurt something. He's going to hurt himself. All right. Um, a word on the other big story from last week, the football leaks story for those who don't know this has been rumbling for a while but there's a man who calls himself john who's portuguese who who has been named and identified by doyen although i'm not going to say his name because i don't know if it's really him um and what this guy does is he he provides documents originally he was just post just data dumping them online um more recently He's been working with a consortium of uh, European media organizations, uh, including in some instances the Sunday Times as well, uh, leaking them information about player contracts, often the original documents and so on. Matthew Syed wrote about this. Obviously, the, the, the headline-grabbing story this week was that Mina Raiola, Paul Pogba's agent, made something like £41 million pounds off of Pogba's move to Manchester United, which when you consider in the end, when you add in the commission that United paid and the fee that United paid to Juventus. This was 89 plus 14 adds up to 103 million. Is yeah, that right? So he made 41 million out of 103. He makes 40% essentially off of this move. Um, I think because we in the media, we haven't been faced with a story like this from the Football League's perspective. We don't quite know how to investigate it and, and how to talk about it so all we do is sit back and moralize about oh look the age of making 40 million blah 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 but to me there's a ton of questions here and this this guy that john from football league says people just give him these documents that he claims are not hackers other believe that, that he is a hacker allison you're smiling well are you slightly unsettled about this well i i agree with you completely in that the, we don't know how to cover the story, do we? Well, it's the the problem is it's 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 just like going into a eat all you can buffet and not knowing where to start. So you just go for the most expensive thing because you think you're getting it free and eat that and then forget about everything else that's going on. The headlines are very seductive. The figures are very seductive. We need to know what the point of this is. Is there a pattern? Are oh, I think you. Uh, hinted in your column in the game today, Gab, is there blackmail going on? And if it's not out-and-out blackmail, are people anticipating leaks and fending them off by quieting people with bribes or payoffs or something? What 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 is legitimate public knowledge and what is private? I wouldn't want my contract with the Times to go public. I don't see that it's in the public interest. So why, why is it suddenly in the public interest for anyone else's contract of employment to be put out there the reason we're accepting that it's out there and it's great news that we can see it is because is it just because the, the amounts of money have reached the point where it's it's suddenly an immoral amount of money but we all knew footballers earned masses amount of money we knew agents took cuts that made our eyes water because they don't really seem to do other anything else other than speak on their phone very loudly um so yeah it's it's a question of knitting it all together and working out what it, what it is we're uncomfortable with whether it's just because it's we're talking large amounts of money, do we have the right to know it? Do we, as news organisations, publish these things without giving that the amount of thought it requires? 
Well, I mean, we, we publish wages and transfer fees all the time. Um, well, yeah, you, make, you also make the point that if, if, if everything was transparent, then you, would, then you be wouldn't no be spoon-fed just the sexy stories. Well, but this is what, what I found unsettling, what I wrote in my column, was we all know that in football, as in other industries perhaps, but football's the one we know, there is a certain amount of tax evasion, money laundering, and bribes, or bungs if you prefer, going around in football on, on these transfers. What makes me uneasy is that if I have documents that suggest that this is happening, I can go and I can go and blackmail somebody. And you know, what if it's the case that Maybe not John himself, but whoever, maybe John's being truthful and he says, somebody just passed me these documents. Maybe, you know, Russian hacker Boris hacks everybody, takes these documents and tries to blackmail clubs. And the ones that, that, that he's able to extort money from, he doesn't pass the documents on to John, who's, you know, innocent football leagues man. And the ones who were, you know, there is no obvious criminal element to, or the ones who refuse to pay, uh, uh, or, or refuse to pay Boris the hacker. Um, like possibly United and Juventus, he says, okay, fine. Then I'll just go and publish this and try to embarrass you somehow. Um, and I don't even know who should be looking into this because I suppose some people at FIFA and they say like, well, I don't see what we can do. We're not the police. We don't, you know, especially once you start getting into offshore jurisdictions and stuff like that, even the tax authorities have a difficult time going there. And that's what I find scary. And that's what I think in general football ought to be talking about rather than just pretending it's not there. It depends on the cases because Angel Di Maria is clearly getting investigated for having tax evasion on his image rights and PSG knowing about it and there's a lot of things going on there. Mourinho as well in Mourinho Spain well, settled yeah. with, uh, with the tax man over... Similar things, yeah. So it's, I think transparency is good in many ways. There's, there's loads of sports, especially in the US, where you know how much everybody earns, you know how much the, the players in MLS earn, you know how much the new contract of basketball players in, in the NBA is as well. So The big difference is that in the U.S., if you have an undeclared account abroad, especially if it's, in an, if it's offshore, mm. and they catch you, you go to prison. Right? You do not pass yeah, go and collect $200. Yeah, you go to prison. Yeah. In the U.S., you actually go to prison for tax evasion, which tends not to happen in, uh, in, in European countries. And the other big advantage the U.S. has is that you know, James, let's pretend you're Cayman Islands or, or generic offshore tax haven. The U.S. comes to you and says, hey, look, this is me. These are my nuclear weapons. You're now going to hand over a list of everybody's a bank account there. You're going to comply. If, with all due respect, the British government or the French government go, comes knocking, they go and they laugh in their face. I think that's the main discriminant here. One final thing. I don't want to pick on Ed Woodward because I, was, I thought it was very nice to him last summer. If you were a Glazer, would you be getting on the phone to Ed and being like, Ed, tell me again, why did we need to pay this guy 14 million pounds on this transfer? I mean, is that a fair question to ask? Of course it's a fair question to ask. And that's the other big question from these football leaks is why do so many clubs and chairmen sanction these ridiculous you don't the differential isn't worth it you you don't get in Pogba you don't get a player x times better than another midfielder by paying that amount you you get someone who's just a fraction better than a much cheaper midfielder who's still good it's ridiculous it was it was a a vanity project for Woodward and he was never going to back down and as soon as the agent knows that it happens you can just imagine Raiola 
leaving Old Trafford where you know where they signed the contract in the car, laughing his head off, saying forty one million. According, according to the football leagues, the contract whereby he got twenty percent of the fee when he left Juve, they signed that three weeks before he moved to United. I mean, I find that if if that is accurate, and again, nobody's has said thus far that it's not, or the documents. That should warrant a huge investigation from the U of a shareholders and saying, like, why are we doing this? You know? Yeah, Pepe Marota, it would say that it was to drive the price as high as possible and trusting Raiola to get as much money possible for Pogba. So, all in all. Yeah, but he had what? He had three years left on his contract at that stage. True. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I just find the whole thing, the, the, the whole thing, absolutely extraordinary. Okay, enough of all this. How about some quick hits instead? Crystal Palace stomp all over Hull City 4-0 to secure their place in the Premier League. Allison, is Big Sam now stuck with a firefighter tag forever? No, I don't think so forever. I think, but I think it was very useful for him in his career. And boy, is he 62? He's got time left, I think, because he, 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 he did make that leap from just being this chap who could work with, with minimal resources and uh, never get relegated and maybe save a club that like they were going to get relegated. And he got the England job and fell flat on his face. So his next job, he's been brought in really ridiculous amount of, of, of tough games ahead he pulls it off yes everyone's saying well that's all you are firefighter I think this is quite good quite good for this point in his career for him to have that tag and he can rebuild again and, and maybe get a, a less um, firefighty job so in other words not at Palace I'm not, I'm not talking about next week I'm just saying right. long term long term he doesn't have to have just have this now this tag some of us were on the Marco Silva bandwagon early but the wheels came off at the very end Julian I'm assuming you don't see him staying at Hull. And is he really that good? I think he's really that good. I really think he's a special manager. And I'm sorry, Hull fans, but I don't see him staying at your club in the championship. Uh, I think he would get very, very good offers from much better clubs. And that he has a great future ahead of him, for sure. Would you swap Emery for him? Woo! Um, you know what? I probably would, actually. Really? Yeah, I lost win away faith. from home. But did anyone, he didn't win away from home? With maybe because it was Hull City. Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, that's maybe the reason. I'm hoping that's the reason why he didn't win away from home. Manchester City roll over Leicester City 2-1 and they seem on track for that top four finish. James, I'm assuming you're happy to give Guardiola a pass for his first season, right? I mean, it, it depends what you mean by giving Guardiola a pass. Really. I think for all sorts of reasons that we already discussed at Infinitum on previous game podcasts, he has... I think probably underachieved in his first season. However, I think what a top four finish means is that faith in the whole Guardiola project is not fatally lost. I think had they finished outside the top four, and I agree that seems unlikely, then we'd be looking much more at sort of the jeopardy of the whole project. But I don't think that is the case. Unless, of course, they had finished sixth, won the League Cup and finished 70 points behind Chelsea, uh, but then won the Europa League, in which case everything would have been fine. Uh, Alison, in the game this week, we have an interview with Howard Wilkinson. Um, He was the last English manager to win the league and one of the first sort of senior figures in English football I ever interviewed many, many years ago. So he's a special place in my heart. Um, of course, he won the English League before the Premier League even existed. Uh, are there any clever theories on why 25 years have passed and uh, your people are no closer to winning their own league? Oh, if only Brexit meant that we weren't allowed foreign managers and then we'd find out, wouldn't we? 
I think I think no, you would because thousands. then you'd have you'd have Tony Pulis or Mark Hughes or somebody like that winning the league. I like Tony Pulis. I like Mark Hughes. Don't dislike them. I like them. They don't become English just because you like them. I think them. it's. I just think it's snobbery and reputation. For some reason, we've evolved to a situation where if you're a wealthy owner of a club, the marquee manager signing has to come from sexy Italy, Spain. It's it's. It's peculiar, it's evolved that way, but it has. I just think of all those sexy Italian managers, Walter Mazzari, <laughs> Claudio Ranieri, whoa! Mm. Sorry, getting myself a little, a little excited. Um, Arsenal win at Stoke 4-1 to make it three straight in the league, and Julian, they now have winnable home games, followed by the FA Cup final. If Fenger ends the season with five straight wins, plus a credible showing in the FA Cup, maybe even a win... Does it change your opinion on whether he ought to stay? I always said he was going to stay anyway, so I think if... No, 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 no not what he will do, because you've said he'll definitely stay. Yeah. But should he stay? Should he stay? Wow. I only have 25, 20 seconds. Um, I think a, a great end of the season with an FA Cup trophy might convince a few of the Arsenal fans that he should stay. No, 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 that he's also stay. I care about this specific Arsenal <laughs> Would you want him to stay? I would want him to stay, changing his approach in some ways, changing some of his stuff as well. I think it's time for many changes at Arsenal. He can stay and show me that he can change and he can change stuff. I would have that. If would he's not be, ready to change, then it's a different story. Wouldn't it be awesome if he stayed and he hired Stuart Robson as his number two? God, and then he'd have two tall, bald guys next to him on the bench? it would be kind of cool. Swansea are also staying up after winning away to Sunderland 2-0. James, massive kudos to Paul Clement. And by the way, James, did you notice that the bottom three Cubs all have fancy foreign managers uh, and the two who stayed up above them have good salt-of-the-earth Englishmen? Well, I, don't think, I, I don't think David Moyes is really anyone's archetype of a, of a fancy foreign manager. He's, but he's Scottish, he's foreign, he's foreign. <laughs> and, he's, and he's worked abroad. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea where Agnew's from, but Agnew's an Irish name, right? So, you know, plus he only came at the end, so so there. True, yeah, and I think you could you could also throw into the mix, I mean, obviously you've got Alice and Clement, you could throw into the mix Craig Shakespeare, because, you know, Leicester were in genuine peril, I think, when he came in. That's right. They um, got rid of the fancy foreigner. and Clearly, <laughs> I don't think anything should really be, be read into that. But I think Paul Clement has done um, has done a really good job. I think, you know, Swansea were bottom when he came. They were really disorganised. And uh, I think overall he's he's done very well to keep them up. You'd almost wonder if whether the fact that Paul Clement worked at Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich... Uh, he might have learned something by leaving these shores. And Maybe. And Gilfie Sigurdsson, which is a massive bonus. That, that's the key. Basically, Gilfie. if you want to win the league, go find manager. If you want to go down, go find manager. If you want to stay out, <laughs> just go English manager. It's quite simple. You know, Very we simple. Should, we should run clubs. Right, talking of foreign, Gab, one for you. Juventus travelled to Roma on Sunday night with a chance to win their sixth straight Serie A title. Go on, tell us what happened. <laughs> they did. They lost. Uh, it goes on another week. Roma were without Enjeco, who's sort of like you know their 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 big guy, and uh, they're, they're a little fortunate with the deflection. Julian, yeah. you saw you saw the game, and uh, an incredible first goal with just like the weirdest trajectory I've ever seen. Um, the ball off of from Stefano Sharawi with the ball uh, just just touching off of the tip of Licksteiner's toe and taking this really weird 
spin. It looked like almost like one of those snooker shots where the ball goes in, in the wrong direction. Roma got physical in the second half, um, and I thought they were fully deserving 3-1 winners. Now, they have a four-point lead. There's two games to go. Odds are they'll win the title. They basically need three points to win the title. If they do finish level on points, Roma become champions. But I don't see that happening. And while we're talking foreign stuff, we have to wait another week for Monaco to win their title, right? Three days. Wednesday night, they play their game in hand against Saint-Etienne. And okay, that's assuming when... they lose? Yes. I mean, they can still lose here on the final day of the season if PSG win by 17 goals and Monaco are beaten. We need a 17-goal swing. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Which, I mean, we've seen worse. We've seen, we've seen you know... This is why goal difference, by the way, is such a stupid, stupid way to decide anything, to decide league titles, to decide relegation. It's a good debate to have, though, because it rewards you, you know, for... It rewards you for nothing. It rewards you for situations where things go wrong against against crummy teams earlier in the season. The way to do it... In fact, I like head-to-head marginally better, but that's stupid, too. If you finish level on points, you should have a one-game playoff the way God intended. And let's settle this on the pitch. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests today, Alison Rudd, James Gearbrandt, and Julian Lawrence. Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial if you want to subscribe to our newspaper. You don't just get our newspaper, you get the Sunday Times as well. Wow! You get Syed, you get Winter, you get uh, Gearbrandt, you get Rudd, you get me, you get Slot, you get Smith, you get Hurst, you get Jacob, you get Kay, you get Dickinson... And now I feel bad because I've no doubt. Oh, you got Calkin, of course, who's greater than all of us put together. If you don't like reading, that's okay because you can access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup, and James Gearbrandt's favorite competition, the SPFL. That's right. You don't even need to read to subscribe to our newspaper and get real value out of it. So please, you can also press that subscribe button wherever you choose to download your podcast and leave a review on iTunes if you happen to be listening on an Apple device. Uh, We're going to be back next week. So till then, bye-bye. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.